Unexpected visitor. Welcome. Please seek assistance. Where am I? Amy! You're in a faster time stream! Apple of the cheer is under planet-wide quarantine. Unauthorized resident detective. <laughs> Welcome, Amy Pond. I see you're traveling alone. Amy. You didn't save me. So I have to choose. Which wife do I want? We're both me. You being here is wrong. For a single day, an hour, let alone a lifetime. <laughs> oh. Do not be alarmed. This is a kindness. The Discussing Network presents Discussing Who, a Doctor Who podcast. I am Kyle Jones, and I want to start this week by welcoming back the gentleman who has just had a birthday within the last time since we recorded. The one, the only, Lee Shackelford. Hey, how are you doing? How are you? I'm grand. I'm just grand. Just thinking today about how how great things are. That's all there is to say. What about y'all? I want to say... Clarence Brown, the one and only. Good sir, Mr. Brown, how are you? I'm doing okay, man. Uh, And we will spare everyone listening's ears, as well as Lee's, by singing to you, Lee. (laughs) Happy belated, definitely. Uh, But I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Well, I missed you guys over the last couple of weeks. We took a week off because I was out of town. And last week, Clarence, you and I, while Lee was off celebrating his birthday, recorded an episode of Discussing Comics where we speculated about WandaVision, and that's episode 70 of Discussing Comics, which, as always, Clarence, I enjoyed having you on, but you actually hosted, so I really, really had fun with that. Yeah, that was very different, but it was fun. I was happy to do it. Enjoyed it a lot, and uh, I'll just give a uh, a plea to anyone out there listening to this podcast, if you enjoy us talking about Doctor Who, also ch- check out our Discussing Comics feed. Uh, I think you will enjoy the banter there as well. So it's a lot of fun, and especially if you're into the, you know, comics is mainstream now for the most part, <laughs> especially when you talk about the the Marvel slash Disney properties. So if you're into that, uh, please check out DiscussingComics.com. Awesome. Well said. Well said. Kyle, you remind me of a, of a strange connection between these things, is that I, thanks to um, a windfall, thanks to Kindle, I guess it was Kindle who did this, Amazon, uh, making a bunch of the Marvel Masterworks books uh, available at a low, low price on Kindle right at the end of the year. I bought pretty much all of the Spider-Man books, and uh, I am, so I've been reading them chronologically, and I've finally gotten up to the introduction of the Black Cat. Mm. I guess I had read those, you know, when, when I bought them on the newsstand or whatever, but really hadn't thought about them since then. And now I wish I had my reader in front of me because I could I could read you quotes off the page. But I love the way that character is written and her her flirtatiousness with uh, Spider-Man when she first meets him. She is his enemy. She is uh, they are at cross purposes. So they fight as their first meeting. But throughout it all, she's calling him love and my lovely and uh, say, I wonder what you look like under that mask. And she, she kisses him. And as I was reading, I was thinking, oh, my God, it's River Song. <laughs> that is funny. Black Cat is actually the uh, the template for River Song. But I, I'll, I'll share that with you. But it is. She, she's written in almost exactly the same way. It's mm, interesting. There you go. So now I want to go back and reread, you know, Felicia Hardy's first appearances now. That's right. Go. Yes. See, we got from Spider Man to Doctor Who, and we're back. There on track. you go. Well, speaking of getting back on track, you guys have <laughs> often heard me say that if I am wrong and I see something and I'm wrong about, I like to admit my wrongness, even though I do like to say things that I don't like. But that being said, I gave Mel a hard time when we were reviewing the first appearance of the seventh doctor. And I went on and on about the screeching of mail, but Clarence, you shared a video, I believe on our Facebook, not, no, not our Facebook on our Slack 
chat between the three of us right. with a business proposal for mail. Oh, man, it's been so long since I've seen the video. Uh, but basically, the video is um, just a little trailer like for the the latest release that's coming to Blu-ray. Then you know, it was pretty, pretty interesting. I, I'm sure a lot of the, the mentions of the enemies and the stories went completely over my head because, you know, I'm not really a classic person per se, but I thought it was uh, interesting to see a look of, of that actor now. Uh, I thought that was really cool. And also an appearance from the doctor. So, you know, I enjoyed it. Cool. Lee, did you see it? I have not seen that. No, I, I, I like to pick on Mel, but I am an admirer of Bonnie Langford as a, a stage entertainer. She's she's kind of amazing. So let me put it this way. I was unmelicized. And I, that's just a word <laughs> I came up with here on the spot. But terrific. Yeah. I would be interested to see an episode with the Seventh Doctor and Mel after watching that. I found her interesting. And, and it's on my mind because I just watched it yesterday. I, I was entertained. I thought she did an awesome, awesome job. And so kudos to Bonnie Langford because I'm eating crow because I enjoyed Mel in that brief six or seven minutes that we got to see. Well, another thing that I did, and I did this on our Discussing Network Facebook group. And this is sort of news because I think it's timely because the last episode we were talking about rumors that Jodie Whittaker might be leaving. So I asked a question, and the question was, the one constant about Doctor Who is change. If given the choice, which would you choose after the conclusion of Series 13? And the three choices were, Chris Chibnall replaced his showrunner with Jodie Whittaker remaining as the 13th Doctor. It's choice number two, Series 14 with new Doctor and new showrunner. Jodie Whittaker, this is number three, Jodie Whittaker replaced as the Doctor with Chris Chibnall remaining as the showrunner. So which one of those three do you guys think got the most votes Chibnall replaced with Jodie Whittaker remaining, both replaced, or Jodie replaced with Chibnall remaining? Which one do you think got the most votes? You know, Steve, I'm going to have to go with uh, A. All right, Clarence, what say you? And I will agree with A since I'm looking at it right now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the answer to that is A. That had the most votes. The second one literally had the second number of votes, and one person did vote for the last one to keep Chibnall, get rid of Jody Whitaker. So that, I thought that was an interesting result. The other one is on our Discussing Who Twitter. I asked the question, who is your favorite companion of the 13th Doctor? I found this one quite interesting in the results. Out of Ryan, Yasmin, and Graham, Who do you think received 66.7% of the votes? I'm going to say Ryan. We got a Ryan. Clarence, what say you? I'm going to say Yaz, and not because I don't like Yaz. She's actually my favorite, but knowing the internet, (laughs) I'm probably going to say they're going to say Yaz. Biz, biz. You guys were wrong. What? 67% 67% basically of 66.7 Graham, 33.3 Ryan, 0% for Yaz. No, votes for Yaz. Is the question, or maybe I must have misunderstood the question. Who, who is your favorite companion of the 13th Doctor? Oh, hmm. Yeah, I think I gave the wrong answer when I asked. Anyway, yeah. I thought that was quite interesting because universally, I would have expected Graham to be at 0% and then the other remaining votes to be between Yasmin and Ryan. But was the the audience who was being polled, was it uh, a sample set of uh, white dudes over 50? Good point. Yeah. And who knows? Mm -hmm. Who knows? These are the results based on an incomplete sampling. Yes, exactly. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Don't trust the polls. There you go. Because they are not timely. They're just lost in space. Who knows? Different different franchise. 
But regardless of the franchise, I will say that we have some feedback. And the feedback comes first from our friend Vanessa McNamara in regards to A Good Man Goes to War, following up to some comments, Clarence, I think that you made. I think you both discussed, however, there was a thin ice deleted scene. And I will put that link in the show notes because it is on YouTube. Do either of you want to talk about the thin ice deleted scene? Yeah, it's, it's a beautiful scene between the 12th Doctor and Bill Potts where they just give that one line about the time that Matt Smith doctor, Matt Smith's doctor and River were at that very same location. And it was so elegant and I cannot believe they did not leave that in the episode because it's so beautiful to see it now. They even uh, name-checked uh, Stevie Wonder being there. Yeah. So <laughs> and, good. And in our episode, I was so delighted that Vanessa shared that because I'd never seen it. And Clarence had just speculated, you know, wouldn't it be great if they had done that? And they did. They did. Yeah. yeah. And my theory, and I said this to Vanessa, was that I think they shot that and then showrunner, you know, they you have a meeting, you know, before you release uh, the final print of anything like that. And somebody said, you know, having the character we've established for Bill, there's no way she's going to let go of this slip that he's just made about him being married. <laughs> yeah. She's going to she's going to hound him about that. But we've already shot, you know, all this stuff, and she doesn't. So they'd rather cut the scene. That's my theory. That's interesting. And you just answered my question that I was going to ask: is why would they have taken out something so good? Yeah. And that makes perfect yeah, sense. Definitely. By the same token, I understand why they would have had to cut it if they they'd already filmed some stuff and it was never mentioned again. Mm-hmm. But it would have been nice, especially in this season where basically the doctor was explainer in chief to Bill the entire season. It would have been nice to get that rehashed and kind of re-explained for every, all the newcomers. Good point, too. Especially, yeah. no, it was, was it after, no, 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 it was not after Bill. He had just seen River yeah. before Bill. Holiday, yes, yeah. had to think there for a second. Holiday specials, yeah. Regardless, Vanessa, as always, thank you. That was appreciated, and as always, we appreciate your support. So we have more. So the next comes from our friend Claire Ashton. Claire says that she is simultaneously watching episodes of Doctor Who for our podcast and continuing her endless rewatch of New Who. She is back around to the planet of the Ood, and she says that she appreciates Donna clap, 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 more every time she rewatches the run. She was so underappreciated at the time, but time has won most people around. So kudos. Anybody that's a fan of Donna, clap, clap to you. Real, real quick on that, it's so funny for me to hear people didn't like her at the time or, you know, weren't the most fond of her because, you know, going back and watching it now, it's freaking amazing to see what she did on the show. And, you know, even from her own mouth, some of the sentiment that she was getting was that maybe she wasn't the most liked companion at the time. Yeah, history will change things, I guess. It's great stuff. And, you know, it, you just reminded me, Clarence, it's amazing that even today she still doesn't understand how adored, how loved she is as a companion. Even, you know, to, what, when did we see her? Two years ago? And she was still in basically disbelief that people liked her. <laughs> I yes, think she got she the message, though. Well, I hope so. <laughs> a few conventions where she comes out to, uh, you know, thunderous applause and people screaming, I think. That'll, that'll bring you around. Maybe so. So the last one comes from a gentleman by the name of Kevin O'Brien. And I saved him for last simply because I was floored by what he said. And I think especially, Lee, for you and I, I will be honest with you, when I read this, I got like a chill. I mean, that was the nicest thing I think anybody could have said. And I will read it here right now. I just signed up for the Patreon support because you are my favorite Doctor Who podcast since Podshock. Oh. Yeah, I mean, I'm getting... Wow. I'm, I'm seriously getting the shell bumps again because that, that to me is the ultimate, yeah. ultimate compliment in Doctor Who podcasting world. You've given me chills twice, Kevin O'Brien. Doctor Who, Doctor Who. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> me too. 
we're, we're so grateful for that uh, for that comparison. Of course, he's not comparing us directly with no, no, uh, no, 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 Pachak, of course. But he's saying, but ever since, but still, yes, you put us in the in the company of Lewis Trapani's show with news reviews and fan mail yes. for James. Yes. So. Oh, chills again. Hello. There you go. I hope Lewis listens to this. Hi, Lewis. Hey, Lewis. <laughs> well, we know I held him captive and made him do an intro one time. So well, that's true. You- <laughs> he, may, he may still be recovering from that. He's, he is aware of us, thanks to you. <laughs> so speaking of, since Kevin mentioned Patreon, I will say, if you would like to support this show via Patreon and help Lee and Clarence keep me anchored in this reality, head on over to patreon.com slash discussing network. So gentlemen. Ooh, do we want you to choose the anchor or the water? Oh, good one. Ooh, Either way. Okay. Who knows? So, gentlemen, any other items before we continue? Not for me. All right. Good deal, gentlemen. So that means that it is time for me to say, if you have not seen The Girl Who Waited, go watch it. Well, put us on pause. Go watch it. Come back. Because from this moment forward, spoilers. 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 The spoiler warning has gone out, and we are back to review The Girl Who Waited. This is the 10th episode of the 2011 series of Doctor Who, first airing on the 10th of September, 2011. It starred Matt Smith as the 11th Doctor, Karen Gillan as Amy Pond, Arthur Darville as Rory Williams, and Karen Gillan as Amy Pond. So, summary view. Clarence Brown, I'll start with you. Summary view. What did you think of this episode? Loved, loved, loved. This was another episode where it made me miss this era. It made me miss the the musical score, the strike during this era. A solid science fiction concept that I really very much enjoyed and some very great emotional moments between Amy and Rory. Nice. So I loved it, man. What about you guys? I haven't watched this um, since it aired. I, I found it really hard. So I don't know if I'm just confessing some uh, some triggering or uh, I don't know. I, I came away from this saying, well, I'm never watching that again. And that is separate from how much I admire the, the writing and the construction of this episode and the performances. Good Lord. It is, it's an extraordinary episode. I just personally found it really painful. I guess beyond what we're supposed to feel, <laughs> mm-hmm. because I mean, tragic partings are part of this this show, this franchise, and the, this this moment at the the TARDIS door with, with uh, Rory and uh, older Amy, they they reach out and you know like they're going to touch each other's hands, but they can't. The, the Wrath of Khan thing, mm-hmm. which is also the Doomsday thing. We've seen the Tenth Doctor and Rose do that. That didn't that didn't hurt me the way this the way the girl who waited did. It's just mm. it's just hard. It's um, and I guess my criticism of it, if if you want to call it that, is that it felt to me almost like it's too intense for television. But maybe yeah. it's just maybe it's just too much for me, and that's not the same thing. But anyway, so no. that that's my quick. I'm, I'm I'm right there with you, Lee. I, okay. I don't think it's just you. Um, this is the only episode of Doctor Who where I finished the episode by saying, "Damn you, Doctor! Damn mm-hmm. you, Rory! How yeah. dare you!" But what else? What are they? Impossible decision. Yeah. What are you supposed to do? So like you, Lee, this is the first time I have watched this one since it aired. I went into it knowing there was an older Amy, but I remembered absolutely nothing else. other. I I didn't remember the story points. I didn't remember what happened, any of it. And I didn't know why. I knew I had watched it once. But I didn't know why. I never went back to it and watched it again. I didn't have a dislike of it. I didn't have a like of it or or a bored of it or whatever. I just knew that I never watched it again. And I agree with everything you guys just said. I went away for the very first time I can remember, and maybe I just blocked it from my head nine years ago. But I went away from this disturbed. That's the word I wrote down. I went away thinking... This episode left me feeling disturbed and not in a good way. <laughs> right. You know, I think it was acted 
brilliantly, beautifully, intently, intense emotions, etc., and so forth. It was wonderfully written, but the content, and maybe you appreciate it more with age, and it intensifies as a viewer your response to it. But as far as was it a just a romp through time and space? It absolutely wasn't. It was <laughs> like what the bleep is going on here. (laughs) Yeah. It bothered me watching it because I kept thinking, what would you, you know, you know, what's that, what's that television show? What would you do? Mm. I kept thinking, what what would I do in that situation? Well, Mm. that's, that's always part of character identification that we're always putting ourselves in the shoes of of the people we're watching and that we care about. And so we have to be asking her, we have, we have to be roaring. And of course, we're we're going to be Amy as well. So let me ask you guys something. Let's start at the mm. beginning. Yes, and very good place to start. Very good place to start. <laughs> Starting at the beginning, let me pose the question to you like this: They get out of the TARDIS. They exit the TARDIS. Everything's hunky dory, et cetera, and so forth. And they're on an alien planet. There's danger. Do we, as an audience, are we kind of? I don't want to say nullified. That's not the word I'm looking for. Are we kind of numb to the danger that they face because we know that these characters are going to survive because we haven't heard that they're leaving yet. So we know that ultimately everything's going to be okay. But with this scenario, it everything looks good and they walk out and all of a sudden there's this dilemma that they're in. So back to that question, do we just kind of gloss over any danger they may be in because we know the main characters have to survive? What do you guys think? Do we? I mean, we've already killed Rory several times. <laughs> True. I mean, we, we know it's possible. It's always an option. We can kill Rory. But it is something, in fact, something that I admire about this script is that even though all signs point to their actually being in pretty uh, a bad situation, Amy and Rory are both sort of shrugging it off. And I think it's just because of the, the, the magnitude of things they've experienced so far. They've just come back from Demon's Run. I mean, yeah, try scaring me now. I don't, oh, we're separated by, by time and space? Come on, we'll have this fixed in no time. And, and I think the script plays it that way. But it's not until they realize the magnitude of what's happened that everyone starts to get really upset. And I think that's right on. I agree. I, I love that th- this time where the enemy, uh, quote unquote, is not really like a monster of the week. It's the danger is different. You know, they face danger every time. Of course, we see them get out of it <laughs> every time. But I appreciated the fact that the danger was different in this one. It was it was played up on this this science fiction concept of, of time streams or time dilation, whatever you want to call it. So I appreciated that difference here, and it presented a very different problem than the usual monster of the week type thing. Yep, and to me, it made it hit a little bit more home. Maybe when we're watching and reviewing this, when the monster of the week per se that had turned this vacation planet into what it was was there was something called a Chin 7 virus mm. that was affecting all of these people with du- you know dual hearts, multiple hearts. My question to you guys is this peaceful ending, this concept of someone gets infected with the virus, they have 24 hours to live, and instead of watching that person have their last day in 24 hours, they watch that person go into this time streamy advanced thing and watch them grow old over 24 hours. Love, love, love. (laughs) I love that concept so much. I mean, especially, you know, the thing that they're facing is definitely fatal. You know, they could die in 24 hours to see them still be able to live out a full life. And to you to sit by their side for that 24 hours to participate, you know, in that in some fashion, I think it's a really interesting concept. And especially when you look at, you know, we're coming off of 2020 and it's a time where a lot of us have been viewing our loved ones, although not dying in 24 hours, but but we've been viewing our loved ones in very much the same way through 
the screens on our computers, on our phones, and they're living their life and we're living ours. And that's just kind of what it is, you know. So, yeah, I think this concept uh, definitely hit home. Lee? And it's yeah, it's fun to be able to play with the fantasy of something like this because well, what's happening is is this facility allows people to uh, to travel at different relativistic speeds through through time, though stationary. And this portal that they can communicate in real time through is somehow negotiating that portal, like a you know? compensator is, exactly, which is <laughs> obviously that's so preposterous that nobody should even put it into a a narrative of this kind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I was watching this going, oh my God, did I steal this whole idea from this episode? I don't I don't remember that. I don't think so. But anyway, the I, I wondered about this because a, a lot of um, TV dramas have people locked in a room, you know, for, for uh, a long time. And I always wonder, where did they, where did they pee? You know, show us the part of the room where they had to pee because, and the doctor says, what did you eat? And she says, nothing. I haven't been hungry. She's been in there for a week. Yeah. And the doctor explains very quickly in that offhand way that she's not in real time, even in that room. It's not that they're perceiving the time differently, but she's experiencing time differently. And if you take that seriously, it changes the rest of the episode as well, because we want to feel badly for her because she's been in this place for 36 years. But if you go back to that conversation, you you also have to think, has she? Interesting, because I so lost that in translation. I mean, she's obviously aged 36 years. Interesting. And and the whole idea is you're supposed to be able to watch them live out their life instead of watching them die in 24 hours, that they get a chance. And I I, I agree. I love that. You know, maybe you're being psychic tonight because you may have answered my question slash problem that I had with it because... To me, the way it was presented to Amy, that she was the sole person that was there. I, you know, and, and at one point, the doctor makes reference to everyone's time is overlaid upon each other. So they're all existing simultaneously, but not together. Because my thought was to ask you guys, is this really kindness to have someone live out 30-something years in solitary confinement for the most part. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we actually have laws against putting people in solitary for 40 years. It's it's not a kind. Yeah, I, I wondered about that, too. And we see later that the doctor is either wrong about that or not understanding it all, because then we, we see that everybody's in their own time stream, and that at one point we get a glimpse of the other 40,000 people who are supposed to be there. Um, Did I miss that? Yeah, yeah, you, you, huh. you can see them at one point. They're, uh, they're all shuffling through like uh, we can't see them in their right time frame. It's very briefly when they first get back, I think, to this you know place after they are in the TARDIS. It's very briefly yeah. that we see that. But, but, so then even so, are all of those people alone in their time streams? Is that, is that what happens? I mean, again, they're going to get to live out their lives, but they are living without <laughs> Yeah, in that case, it's 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 torture. It's I, I assume anyone doing this normally would be with other people. That's what I assume because I, I guess I missed that little part that you guys are talking about. So that totally reverses how I feel about this. But the idea is there's supposed to be this room where you can look through the looking glass and you're not alone. Hmm. And and maybe if you have all of these places on this world that you can go to think about all the different things that they were offering to amy to occupy her time and if you look at it from that perspective every tuesday at you know 7 30 p.m central standard universal time she hooks up to the universal skype and gets to talk to people that she knows you see where i'm going you know going with that yeah so maybe she just knows that every wednesday if you were a person that was knowing that you were going there, you knew that you got to communicate with family once a week and at this time. Mm. Maybe. While we're talking about the time part real quick, I'll just mention a few other series that do something similar. There's an episode of Voyager where, I forget the name of the episode, but it's basically, they, you know, the planet is out of sync, so they get to see a, a planet evolve from like the Stone Ages until uh, they get called in a 
some type of field around a planet in orbit of the planet. And they actually get saved by the same people because their time is passing so fastly on the planet that they develop technology because they think we see this ship in the sky and they start, you know, aspiring to visit that ship one day uh, as, you know, they get smarter and technology progresses and they're the ones who actually wind up saving them from this anomaly. So I love all these different shows and stuff where they play with time like that, where you have a, a, a group of people somewhere that their time is either passing very much slowly or, or faster. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. And including an episode of the original series where the enterprise is taken over by people who are moving on a different time frame than our crew. So from their perspective, every now and then we'll see the regular crew and they're all like statues. <laughs> they're moving so slowly. Yeah. Yeah. I love stuff like that. Did you guys think that the handbots or whatever they were called, Handbox, yeah, that's what they were called. Did you guys think that they looked sort of kind of familiar to something else we see later in uh, Moffat's tenure as showrunner? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I guess it's inevitable because what they look like really are the, the kind of Boston Dynamics in real life robots that uh, we're making and experimenting with here now and today. So um, it seems to me like when Doctor Who needs to reach for something that is that looks like a um, a simple, credible technology that doesn't need a lot of exotic explanation, they'll go for that look, the yeah. kind of a, a plastic chest plate and the, the uh, expressionless mask. And so on. unless, of course, it's smile. And yeah, then no. smile. Then yeah, and uh, <laughs> you got to have the expression <laughs> right. And <laughs> and those are actually a lot like some some real robots that are being used in hospitals and i and i think smile no spoilers for that in the in the distant future and this episode is that um the the facility is well intended right it, but but what's happening to the, the character in, in those stories is that they're being loved to death right? mm -hmm. that something has failed so that they're not taking good care of people anymore they're they're hurting them which is you know all that the um, the droids on the um, in the, the girl in the fireplace are doing. They're just trying to do what they were designed to do. They just have, they lost the mission. I want to ask you guys one other thing before I want to talk about older yeah. Amy, the governor's mansion, this setting where Amy goes into the garden and she's out on this porch of this garden and walks out into the garden. Did any of that look familiar to you? Not to me. I've seen other films with, the, with fantasy trees like that, that they're growing in some impossible way. But uh, that's... I am 99.9% .9 sure, especially after watching this. I'd seen a picture of the girl who waited a scene from it, and I was like, okay... Um, I know we'll review this eventually, so I'll look when we get to it. But And after looking when we got to it, I'm 99.9% .9 sure of this. But I am, like I just said, sure that this same setting is the same setting where we first meet Missy, fully meet Missy, when she's talking to the clockwork gentleman in deep breath from Series 8 where she's like, hello, I'm Missy, and et cetera, and so forth. I can see it in my mind. I think, yeah, mm. my memory of it is right, yeah. And I think the only thing they did differently is they added a bench area for her to come sit by him yeah. in. That's my thought, and I'm sticking yeah. to it. But without the matte painting of the back. Yes, 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 yes. All right, so Clarence, I'm going to let you take this one first. What were your initial thoughts on older Amy, as I will call her. Uh, very much getting that Michonne Walking Dead vibe. And I wonder, when, when, when did this episode air? 2011. And I think you're going where I'm going, so I hope so. So keep going well, with that that's thought. just my thing. I'm wondering if they saw Michonne on The Walking Dead and was like, oh, she's cool. Let's do our version of Michonne. That's what I felt. But, you know, maybe my timing is a little bit off on that. But uh, impressions on older Amy. Overall, um, I just loved all of her interactions with Rory. I think that's what made everything she did special. We saw that this now older Amy is, you know, 
maybe gotten a little bit smarter over her 36 years or a little more intuitive, a little more doctor-like where she's creating Sonics and, and um, you know, uh, reprogramming robots. So uh, we saw Amy get tough. We saw her get very tough and, and gritty. And I loved seeing what she became when, you know, when you're pushed to survive, it'll make you change. And she definitely uh, did what she needed to to uh, make it through those 36 years. Lee? Oh, I, there's so much to love about uh, about older Amy. Um, and, and the very logical fact that she has come to hate the doctor because this is, it's not his fault, but he just failed to fix it. And she's had a long time to think about it. <laughs> and, uh, the, and so just the, the, the way this actor plays that, that burning hatred and, and her ambivalence about being confronted with Rory again, who, damn it, is still the same age he was when she left. And uh, it is. It's just it's it's fascinating. As we see her deal with the robots, uh, with her ninja blades and so on, don't ask where she got them. Um, <laughs> it's a big planet, right? But we, we get to see Karen Gillan play a flat-out action figure of this kind. Yes. And it makes you realize how unlikely and improbable that is. I mean, we're never going to see that again. <laughs> I mean, Karen Gillan is this kind of killing machine character. You could no more believe that than you could believe that they'd shave her head. <laughs> anyway, but, but speaking of her beautiful red hair, I do wonder why they didn't color it for uh, older Amy. I, I just would have loved a, a great white streak through that, that hair. Wouldn't you? I, it feels like a choice, and I wonder why they yeah. made that choice. What, what did you think of the makeup otherwise for older Amy? I was watching it on my big screen and watching it up close, and it's really good. Yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. I, it's the kind of thing where, you know, I've done uh, old age makeups on people in, in paint, you know, for plays. And it's always just sort of, it makes them look like a, a, a skeletonized version of themselves. It just makes them look like they've lost 60 pounds, you know. And probably isn't what they're going to look like when they get older. You know, the we had the uh, original series Star Trek episode where they're the bridge crews all getting older. And then they've all been around long enough that we've been able to compare them with that as they get older. And, of course, they look nothing like that. <laughs> That's yeah. not what they look like at all. But I can I can imagine Karen Gillan being in the chair and watching this these appliances go on saying, oh, my God. Um, so that's me in my early 60s, huh? Okay. <laughs> Well, that's not bad. It's not bad. So here was my first thought as I'm watching this before I even really start thinking about the character and where I thought you were going, which I do see the Michonne similarities, you know, now that you mentioned it. But I want, I went and looked to see when Guardians of the Galaxy 1 went to theaters, which was 2014. Yeah. And we know it's not long after that, that that Karen Gillan announces that she's leaving, et cetera, and so forth. I can't help but wonder that somebody in the MCU offices, they had to see this, whether Karen Gillan submitted it or somebody saw it. I think this helped land her a role in the MCU. Ridiculous. You know, that's just my thought. But in regards to the character of older Amy, I didn't like her at first. Oh, no. I really didn't. I did not like her at first, specifically for her decision not to help. And I think my problem that I had, because the problem was mine, the problem I had was, and this is when it disturbed me after I realized what my problem was, I saw her as a separate entity, different character, older Amy, not my Amy. And when I realized, particularly when she and Rory embraced it later in the episode, and I just clicked, that's Amy. Then it disturbed me. Yeah, and she's definitely holding this grudge. And you can't blame her, really, but, I mean, it happens in real life, too. You have people that hold a grudge against you, and, you know, you, maybe you never did anything wrong in the first place, but they have it in their mind. It's your fault. And, um, you know, the doctor always saves her. He's always been there for her. He's never let her down. And She's just spent the last 36 years here and the doctor has let her down. So is she going to be angry about that? Yeah. Yeah. And don't blame one bit. (laughs) There's this decision that has, or there's this moment 
where they have a discussion and the decision is made, if I help Amy, if, you know, I'm going to go back and actually help you save Amy, but you have to save me too. Did you guys at any point think that both Amy's would come out of this going forward? Not knowing, you know, that she didn't, but did you think at any point that she might? No, not for a minute. And that, and, and, and that may be a real problem in the script is that I don't, we know it's not going to, we're not going to go forward in this series with two Amy's. While I was pretty sure it wouldn't happen, I still, I wanted it to happen. I, I really, I, if she has to go live on a different planet, I mean, you know, Rocker got calm, whatever. I mean, it's, right. it's oh man, it's so hard to square. Um, and they definitely play it for all it's worth in this episode. But man, I guess the doctor lies. I don't know. That's that's what I have next. The doctor lies. Well, he, he really did. It's a big one. The doc did any did either of you believe at any point that he when he said that they could both come, that he would, you know, jettison this and jettison that. Did either of you believe him at any time? I, I thought it was I thought it was likely that he believed it. Okay. Yeah. And also it's the doctor if he can't do what he said he's gonna do. It's it's the doctor letting her down twice. Yeah. In hugely immense ways. And well, we're gonna get to about an episode, but man. <laughs> and does it does it say something negative about me that I didn't believe the doctor at all? I never at any point watching this. So I don't think you said Lee, you thought it was an uh, error or a failing of the script. I never believed the doctor when he even was telling them that they were going to be able to do whatever to save both. And again, I didn't remember this episode, so she could have gone off her to Adventures Unknown. I wouldn't have remembered that, but I did not believe him at any point. I didn't expect for her to survive. Well, I mean, if, if, you're, if you're thinking seriously about this, if, if you take yourself out of the story for a second, you know that they're not going to. Yeah. It's a... Um, I, this, I, I swear I'm not changing the subject, but I had a flashback uh, as we were talking about this just now to a pitch meeting that I had at Star Trek The Next Generation. And I was talking about a story where I really wanted to have a, a love story for Jordy. And I was talking, and there was a complex reason of, you know, it, it wasn't all the story was about. But uh, but it was about this, this, this woman. And um, as the story was coming to an end, and I said, and of course, she goes back home because that's really where her life is. And that's where my pitch got cut off because uh, Jerry Taylor, who was the executive producer at the time, she said, yeah, that's the problem. Of course, she has to go back home. We're trying to avoid putting our characters in situations where the audience already knows what the outcome is when the episode begins. Hmm. And, and I had to admit that that's fair because, yeah, when you introduce a, a romantic partner for somebody in, in serial, I mean, in episodic television, not in serial television, but in episodic television. Yeah, they're going to be dead before it's over. <laughs> yep. Or, you know, so and it's it's how Captain Kirk gets the reputation for being the love him and leave him guy because he was in an episodic TV show. He can't he can't he can't he can't take either Keeler around with him for the rest of his life. He, you know, <laughs> that when you tune in the next episode, you're not going to know who she is. You, you know, it's yeah. So same thing here. I just. Yeah, I just I never believed we were going to go on forward with the older Amy. So let's get to that ending. So Amy, older Amy at this point, believes that she's going to be saved or she's, you know, going with them. And Amy, Amy believes the same. What did you guys think of the scene where they're fighting and it's like Rory makes that decision he picks up Amy, you know, younger Amy, our Amy, and is taking her after she has been sedated back to the TARDIS. And you see older Amy running behind him, even before the door shuts. What were your thoughts, guys, at that moment, that scene? It gave me brief flashbacks of the Almost People. I think it's the name of the episode. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. I I wasn't sure, you know. I just I, again I've seen this once before too, and 
Like, does our Amy die and the older Amy somehow comes in there and gets younger? I don't, you know, I didn't really know what was right. going on. But I was, I was a little puzzled on who would actually make it in because I, was, I wasn't quite sure if she was actually, you know, just unconscious or, or, or what was going on with, with the younger Amy, or with our Amy. And, and notice that, that Rory gets totally saved by circumstances, too. He, his reason, I think, his instinctive reason for picking Amy up is because she's just been anesthetized. But now he's got the, the wife who can fend for herself and the one who can't. He, he picks the defenseless one. Mm. And in a way, that's a cop-out. But is it a cop-out? Because she can't... Okay, it, like you just said, one can defend themselves because they've done this, quote-unquote, for years. The other one is defenseless. Did did reality make a decision for right. them? Right, that's another way of looking at it, yeah. Well, what if it had been the other way around? If the older Amy was the one who got knocked out, would he then grab younger Amy and go through the door? Mm. Good point. She's good unconscious. Point. Let's go for it. Very good point. That, that would just, that to the optics for the, for the audience, we would just think, oh my God, that was cruel. Yeah, just leave her there. So what did you think when they get inside the TARDIS and... Effectively, the doctor slams the door. Yeah. It takes a long time to get through that door. Yeah. <laughs> it's, the, it's the most painful thing in the episode is older Amy out there begging Rory to open the door. So you guys, what were your thoughts, this reaction, Dar- Arthur Darville's acting in this scene, the, his, the character's reaction, thoughts on that particular scene? Kudos again to Arthur Darville, as yeah. we've said many times in these recent episodes and uh, and Karen Gillan's performance here as a as this older woman who has already endured all she can and this is her one last it's it is it's completely heartbreaking okay the doctor mentions that once we leave this will have never have happened right but i yeah. think i think for me what i what i would like to have seen is when the tardis goes away I guess it kind of did it, but I would have liked to have seen a clear fading away of older Amy. Um, yeah, and, we, it, we faded the shot out and not her. Yeah, I, I had that. I was hoping for that, too. Yeah, because it, it just made it feel like she died, you know, and that was on top of all the other heartbreaking parts of this episode. Um, that was just like another jab of, of this obviously hard decision that, the doctor has to make for everybody, you know, when left to emotions, he knew what would go wrong, that it would go wrong. And he just had to make the captain's decision to say, this is what we're going to do. And I know it's hard and you're going to hate me. Um, you know, even Amy says when she wakes up, where's Amy? Oh, she might not say, where is Amy? She says something to like, where's the other person? She says, the other where, person. Is she? where is she? Oh, shit. <laughs> but yeah, it's, even the doctor turns around and gives his look like, I know, he knows. <laughs> the quote, uh, City on Edge Pepper. That's right. <laughs> uh, rough. So I'm going to go back to something that Lee mentioned, and I'm glad he brought up the pitch meeting with you know TNG a few minutes ago, because I think it, had we seen that fadeaway of Amy, we as the audience, that would be the expectation that I was expecting to happen. Maybe not knowing exactly what it would be, but having it just peacefully fade away and absolve any tension slash conflict slash decisions that were made within the episode, but having them show the scene that is Amy, older Amy, dead on the you know floor and the scene go to white we're left with that uncomfortable feeling that all three of us were left with and i think that made for what this story is i think we needed that to, we needed to feel uncomfortable i i can really imagine i was talking before about the, the final edits you know on these these shows i can see you know everybody in decision making power watching this on their monitors and saying, okay, we can do it this way, where she fades out. We've got a master shot of the empty floor. We can do that. Or we can just white out the scene and not answer the question whether or not she has just faded away. Oh, man. You can see the, you know, whoever's, whoever's making those decisions say, yeah, let's, we got to go that way. 
we, we can't let the audience off the hook like this. Yeah. So, gentlemen, do you guys have any other thoughts on our notes about this episode before we get into our final quote? I do. Our favorite quote, not final quote. Our fi- your final quote, yeah. Because, to full disclosure, I, I have lost someone very close to me, and I did get blamed for it. And it was not my fault. And I know, I know that's why this episode is so very hard for me to struggle. Um, so I, I, I don't want to, <laughs> like I say, I, I think it's a masterful episode in so many ways. But I don't think I'm the only person who's got that kind of grief that they're carrying. And I don't know if this episode just gets into the territory of being too much for the average person to enjoy as as tea time entertainment i I know it's not the original series but i don't know so i was trying i knowing that i was going to be in for a rough time with this episode i was trying to look for things that were fun so here's some fun things okay cool i need fun things yes trivia question okay how does this episode relate to the absorbaloff oh i think i might know but i'll i'll not say love and monsters yeah the absorbaloff did they mention the planet they did Yes, the hmm. uh, the interface says, uh, or try our roller coaster, authentically modeled on the famous warp speed death ride at Disneyland Clum. 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 Yeah, so apparently those uh, those critters on Clum, they enjoy roller coasters. Uh, and we, uh, we've noted many times the uh, extraordinary number of connections between New Who and the Harry Potter movie franchise. Uh, David Tennant, not to say the least, and David Bradley, and oh, on and on the list goes of people who have uh, been in both. There's somebody from Harry Potter in this episode, too. Let me guess it's the woman that is the uh, announcer, because that's the only other person. (laughs) Exactly. Who else could it be? Yeah. But it's not the woman we see. Her voice is being provided by Imelda Staunton, who was Dolores Umbridge. Anyway. So those are the Harry Potter connections. So once again. So here's a bit of trivia for you guys. This is one of the few episodes that have such a reduced cast. I think there was maybe the Edge of Destruction uh, was was the (laughs) other one. And I think we've reviewed that, haven't we? We have. And it's literally the, the four principles. Yeah. Okay. So I think... You know, other than the person, the voice that you just mentioned, the person I mentioned, and the three of them, those are the only cast members that we see in the entire story. There's a voice for the robots, which, and I assume it's our our uh, redoubtable actor who's always the voice for things. And uh, yeah, who else is there? Nobody. There you yeah. go. Incredible. All right. So any other thoughts before we get into favorite quote? That's it for me. I loved seeing the uh, double frame of young Amy and older Amy. That was Uh, gorgeous. That was Yes, yes. The whole conversation between the the younger, you know, the younger self talking the older self off the ledge, you know, in order to save the life of the younger self. It reminded me a lot of, um, what's the episode with the sharks in the sky? Uh, Um, Christmas Carol. Yeah, yeah. Where? Because wasn't it the his younger self was came and talked him down? Or well, I remember that incorrectly. Well, as in the Dickens Christmas Carol, uh, getting to see his past yeah. is what's brought him up. Yeah, and and in the Doctor Who Christmas Carol, it was he seeing himself having become his father, raising his hand to his younger self. Uh, yeah, that was the yeah. moment that brought it on to yes. focus. But but I just loved seeing her. Um, Karen Gillan act against herself in that scene. I mean, um, we, we, you know, again, we always talk about how great her acting is and it, it, she was spot on in this. Um, and that's maybe what our heart there was to shoot, <laughs> but, but just a, a great touching scene. And, you know, um, I saw somebody post something on Instagram and I think it was a person that used to be hard on their self when they were younger and they post like a younger, a younger picture of themselves on Instagram is like, if I could just tell you how good you were or how, how much worth you had back then, you know, tell her. So it kind of reminded me of that. Oh, that's sad. But yeah, I enjoyed that scene. That's but sad. That, that, I, no, that, that made me sad. 
Well, it is, yeah, and it, it's actually something that um, I, I think and even write about a lot is that I think that is a an almost universal human condition that we we beat our. You would never talk to your best friend the way you talk to you, you know. I mean, whoever you are that in that sentence, you know, we say things to ourselves that we would never say to somebody that we really cared about. <laughs> you yeah. know? We're so hard on ourselves, and you look back, you get to be my age, age. And you look back and go, what was that all about? So favorite quote. Let's get into favorite quotes. You know what? I'll go first. Uh, Favorite quote. And this is because this is such a weird review of a different episode. I can't believe I'm using a quote like this as my favorite quote. But (laughs) it, it just stood out to me when Amy says, in fact, I think I can now definitely say that I hate him. I hate the doctor. I hate him more than I have ever hated anyone in my life. And you can hear every word of this through those ridiculous glasses, can't you, raggedy man? I don't like that quote, but I just have to say it's my favorite because it just bothered me. Yeah, Mm. yeah, you you can like it, uh, appreciate it as screenwriting, because man, that's power. Yes. Call him the raggedy man. Mm. Wow. (laughs) Take that knife and just like stab it, not once, but twice through both hearts. Yeah, it, it, it'll make your eyebrows go up when you hear it. <laughs> Whoa. So speaking of eyebrows going up, I don't know why I said that, but hey, Lee Shackelford. <laughs> um, I picked a funny one because uh, I, I did. I just love this. I love when the doctor is stealing the big magnifying glass uh, portal thing. And he says, well, I'm locking it on to Amy. It's a small act of vandalism. No one will mind. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, hmm. ah, that'll be the small act of vandalism alarm. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, uh, my concerns, and we didn't really talk about this, but Rory's, let's, let's say we can't bring young Amy back. So you have a, a Rory seeing older Amy, and then they have to try to square where each of them are in their lives at that moment. Amy says, I, I got old, Rory. What did you think was going to happen? And then he says, I don't care that you got old. I care that we didn't get old together. Mm. Oh, man. <laughs> Say it again. Isn't he the best? <sighs> Always with the Rory. This episode just keeps stabbing away, man. <laughs> and again, the music, Clarence, it's so interesting how you used to say that you didn't pay any attention to the music, and now you pay a lot of attention to the music. Yeah. Uh, but the music, the songs, that I've heard for nine years or however since the soundtrack came out, you know, when the um, the the life and times of Amy Pond or whatever the name of it is and Amy and Rory together is what they are playing behind these Amy and Rory scenes. Murray Gold just knocked those out of the park. Yeah, I, I would almost, well, I, I would love to see if we could just get a a special edition episode of Chipmunk Era with this music, I just want to see how that feels. I just really want to because it it just doesn't strike the same tone. It really doesn't. I don't. It's hard to to. It's just a feeling you get with the music. I don't know. I will <laughs> see if I can find it. But there was something I think on YouTube where somebody did that. The one I watched though, I don't think was done well because it was too loud and it you know, kind of overpowered everything, you know, it, it took you out of it because it was too much of it. Sure. Um, but, but yeah, I'm with you on that. So favorite scene, and I'll go in reverse favorite scene and Clarence, I'll start with you this time. Favorite scene. What was your favorite scene? Uh, for me, it has to be that last gut wrenching scene where they don't let old Amy in the TARDIS. And then for her to know what has to happen and accept that, for, you know, her younger version and Rory's sake. Um, powerful scene. Just <laughs> it's these moments between those two is going to stick with me from this episode. Bingo. Well, just as uh, <clears throat> Clarence brought up earlier, that uh, conversation between younger Amy and older Amy, uh, especially when we have the convention of being able to see their faces side by side. That's my favorite scene in this uh, by far. And I'll, I'll share this too, not favorite line, but part of the favorite scene, Amy telling herself something that she knows, right? Because they both, they're both Amy, right? <laughs> but she says, you know, when sometimes you meet someone so beautiful and then you actually talk to them and five minutes later, they're dull as a brick. 
And then there's other people, and you meet them and think, not bad, they're okay. And then you get to know them, and their face just sort of becomes them. Like their mm-hmm. personality is written all over it. And they just turn into something so beautiful. Rory's the most beautiful man I've ever met. Mm. Deep. Good stuff. Good stuff. Yep. Very good. You love it. All right. So my favorite scene, I'm going to go back to what Clarence said, which is Rory's reaction on that final scene. Superb acting from Arthur Darville. And now I wish that I would have gotten to ask him if uh, the question of what was it like filming this scene? I wish I would have remembered that scene when we got to see him at Pensacon and, you know, ask him this question, because that would have been awesome to know yeah. what he was thinking, how he did that scene. So final rating. Lee, I'll start with you. Final rating. Well, I, I do have such personal difficulty with the episode, but I can also really admire, admire it so much. So I, I'll, you know, choke down my, my personal <laughs> uh by triggering and give it four white robots with flashing LED nipples. <laughs> awesome. All right. Clarence Brown, what say you? Hmm. Two Amy's, would that work? Uh, no, I will, I will give this, I will give this 4.5 Amy's. If Amy could be cut in half, I wouldn't want that to happen, only but 4.5 Only inside a nebula. Yeah, I gotta say, I think we've seen her taken apart pretty <laughs> aggressively. Uh, darn you, Thanos! Mm-hmm. All right, so we've got four. What was it? Four, Lee? Four, four point five Amy's, and I'm going to give it four future gardens used by Missy out of five. I'd never want to see this episode again. But it was a good episode. Oh, but it was a good episode. But I, but 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 it disturbed me. The only time I can say Doctor Who has left me disturbed more so than I normally am. And but it was good, brilliant acting, disturbing story. But kudos to all three actors for knocking it out of the park. Uh, and yeah, I I, I mean. And, 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 and let me say this, Matt Smith did a great job of not being the center of attention. It is a Dr. Light episode, isn't it? Yes. But even though it doesn't quite feel like it, it right. kind of is. And I think that's a testament to these three, again, how well they work together, that it, I, I think some actors may would have had difficulty being relegated to staying inside the TARDIS. Yeah, yeah. Our, our companions carried the episode. It was it was beautiful. <laughs> yeah. So what is beautiful is the fact that I get to ask you guys, where else can you be found on the internet or any parting gifts you would like to bestow upon us? And Clarence, why don't you go first? Yes, my parting gifts will start off with uh, the Inside of You podcast with Michael Rosamund. And maybe I'll drop the um, link for Kyle to put in the show notes. But um, a lot of backlog here. He interviews a lot of people. I've especially enjoyed all of the uh, uh, Smallville actor interviews that he's had. But also he interviewed Karen Gillan on an episode a few years back that I just listened to. And I found it very enjoyable. So you can check that out. um, The Inside of You podcast with Michael Rosenbaum. And. Also, I'm going to say check out a show on HBO Max called Food Lore. And basically, <laughs> it's a uh, show that I think is uh, primarily filmed in Asia, HBO Asia, I believe. But it's basically these anthology t- style stories that are centered around food in some way. I'm only three episodes in and I'm enjoying it. So. You can check that out. Um, it's, it's been it's, it's it's interesting. It's interesting. I watch I like watching foreign and Asian stuff um, uh, movies anyway. So it's like right up my alley. So I've, I'm enjoying it. Well, I want to make um, our listeners who are fellow podcasters aware or remind them or anybody who's interested in podcasting. And if you're listening to this, you are one of those people. Uh, Podfest it has been the biggest um, 
you know, gathering under one roof of, uh, of podcasters and people interested in podcasting. And they are going to take advantage of the fact that we're all online now and try to break a Guinness World Record of having the biggest convention of its kind online. I'm going to be one of the speakers. <coughs> oh, yay. Wow. On March, the, the formal time of the week is March the 1st through the 5th, but they're having a pre-event week, uh, February 22nd through the 26th, and I'm seeing the people who are being lined up for that pre-event week. Uh, and, yeah, you want to sign up for the whole thing. Podcast <laughs> Global Summit. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, our friend Shannon Perry, creator of Oz9, she's going to be one of the presenters for this, um, and, and many others whose name are suddenly slipping out of my mind. But uh, look at this on podfestexpo.com and uh, check it out. Um, it's it's gonna there's going to be some interesting interesting content presented, which you can enjoy from the comfort of your own home. Awesome. There you go. Awesome. So. My parting gift will be go out, get you an old television and hook it up and adjust your TVs to WandaVision because it is freaking awesome. I love the Scarlet Witch. I love the vision. And it is right up this storyline from what I've seen is right up my alley. Yes, WandaVision, go out and you don't have to get an old TV and watch it on Disney Plus, of course. <laughs> But it is awesome, and I can't wait for the last four or five, however many episodes that there are left, because I hope they are magical. There you go. So, gentlemen. Vision's dead. Yeah, but we have twins, and, you know, uh, maybe of Wiccan and Speed variety. Who knows? But, But what I do know is I want to say to everyone listening, thank you for joining us. We are glad that you spent some time with us. You did not have to, and you are appreciated. And with that, as always, we will be back next time. You've been listening to The Discussing Network. Find out more at DiscussingNetwork.com.